You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Get a section of the time. We've been in Ephesians since January, and today we are um, in Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. So without further ado, let me read our verses and I'll explain why we're doing it in this way. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I think after reading these verses, you can see why we're singing at the end. I asked Joseph several weeks ago if he would be willing to have an extended time of sung worship at the end to apply what we discussed today from these verses, and he was gracious enough to work with me on that. So thank you for being flexible and for, for working with me on that. So today, I want to take this section here in light of this thought, and that is this, why we sing, why we sing. It's my sincerest prayer that we end this morning with a deep appreciation of sung worship in our lives, not just as an activity on Sunday, but as a critical and imperative part of our daily Christian walk. Time is precious. Let's dive in. Okay. First, we sing because it energizes us for our ever-present work. And what is our work? In verse 16, Paul tells the Ephesian Christians that they are to redeem the time. Now, translations vary, but they're all trying to get at this same idea. I prefer this translation, redeeming the time, and, and here's why. For the verb, the translations make the most of, maybe your Bible says that, or take advantage of, make it seem like Paul is lecturing the Ephesians on time management as if they're letting some things slip through the cracks. But this is not what he is doing. The word for redeeming here in the Greek paints an image of making a purchase in the marketplace. Therefore, what Paul is describing is a much more active and interactive process To redeem is to recover ownership by paying a specified sum. Like, uh, think of it, you're going to a pawn shop and you buy something. You're transferring ownership when you purchase it. In addition to this, the word redeem has a wonderful gospel tie-in because the Greek word is the same word that Paul uses when he speaks of Christ redeeming us from under the law and being under grace. And what are Christians to redeem? We redeem the time. The word here for time is not tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-clock time, like then it's noon, and now it's 1 p.m., and now it's 2 p.m. It's not that. It's not chronological time, but rather refers to opportune moments of time. Think of it in the sense of the phrase carpe diem, the Latin phrase for seize the day. This is what translations that say every opportunity are trying to convey And uh, in honesty, they may be better at this translation of the meaning here, but I prefer time to opportunity because if we go out and look to redeem the opportunity, we will only look for opportunities and what we categorize as opportunities and we'll miss the fact that every moment in time that we have been given is a gift from God, 
a moment to be redeemed. The work of a Christian you see now is an ever-present work. No days off. Every time is a moment that we are given to redeem, to purchase back for our God and living for him. This is an enormous task and can leave us weary in well-doing. So understanding our need for a song in this work is as basic as it gets. Music drives us forward in our daily efforts and keeps us moving when we would otherwise quit. Think of Whistle While You Work or the theme from the bridge over the, whistle, uh, the River Kwai. When the days get long and there's still work to be done, a song makes all the difference to ensure that the task is accomplished and to make sure it's done well. Additionally, our singing energizes us against the opposition to our work and that our work, redeeming the time, would generate resistance makes sense indeed. If Christians are to redeem the time, then there must be something or someone from which to purchase it back from. The days are evil, Paul writes to his Ephesian brothers and sisters. But what exactly is this evil? We could spend a good time listing all the evils in the world today. Evil governments, evil organizations, evil corporations, evil individuals. Discussing how they were opposed to the cause of Christ. While all of these are certainly real, and some are even possibly worthy of discussion, this would be missing Paul's point. So what is evil? Evil here should be taken in context, context with Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. The real enemy that the Christian faces is the devil behind this present darkness. It is no wonder then why our work is so tiresome we have a real enemy, a roaring lion, who is on borrowed time and backed in a corner and will do everything possible to fight against God and his children to retain every moment of time under his control. What can motivate us then in these dark times in hostile territory? What bolsters us in the face of an overwhelming enemy? Singing a song. Nothing lifts one's spirits in the face of adversity like a song. As we close this point, please don't miss the whole beautiful image here for point one. Christians are redeemed to redeem time from God's enemy. We are, as we go about our daily lives, taking back time from the ruler of this age and transferring it out of, out of there to our Lord and Savior through obedience that God has given us. Next, we sing because it engages our mind. The commands in verse 17 are foils of one another. One negative, do not do this, and one positive, do this. And they both have to do with thinking. Negatively, we should not be foolish, meaning that we should not be mindless in what we do. Our actions should have thought behind them. As we just covered, we are in hostile territory and thus cannot afford the careless mistakes that come with casual, unreflective living. We must engage our mind as we live if we hope to avoid sin and its consequences. Positively, we should understand what the will of the Lord is. The understanding here is not about decision-making, deciding whom to marry, which job to take, and so on and so forth. Although we certainly should seek understanding in those areas, it is much more holistic than that. 
Paul is telling us that we should synthesize or put together our Christian identity and our actions. Who we are in Christ should influence what we do. We'll return to this idea a little bit later on our final point to flesh it out, but as we think through exactly the question of what the will of the Lord is for our lives, I want to share with you 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It's a sister verse to the verses that Paul writes here. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is the will of God for you? If you ever find yourself asking this question, now you know the answer. Singing a song of thanksgiving and praise with your sincere prayers. I promise that doing so will engage your mind and will bring clarity to your understanding in the way that thinking about it alone cannot. Our next observation is that we sing because we are commanded to sing. Simply enough, we are told that we should be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I think we can all understand this at face value, but we must be careful not to obey this command begrudgingly as a child who is forced to eat his Brussels sprouts. Instead, we engage in song happily, and we make melody with our heart. Now, what, what does that phrase even mean? Well, perhaps you've heard the phrase, the saying that something pulls at your heartstrings, but did you know that heartstrings are real? They actually exist. They're the little white things that attach the valve to the muscle right there. That makes every one of your hearts a string instrument, in a sense. All of us can play this instrument innately. When you sing from the heart, picture yourself giving your heart a strum like a guitar. Or maybe you pluck it like a harp. Or maybe you're a little bit more cultured and you want to draw your bow across your violin or your cello. That's a wonderful image of what it means to make melody with your heart. When you sing, you pull at these strings. But while it's straightforward, I want to note two excuses from this command that we might give ourselves. The first is that we are exempted because we sing poorly. As we just illustrated, our singing is primarily a heart condition. And if anyone around you should turn around and lecture you on the right pitch, in tune, or anything to do with music theory, while you wholeheartedly praise our Lord and Savior, then this is what you should do. You smile, you thank them for their advice, and then you ask them to help you carry the tune as they praise the Lord with you. Pretty simple. But the second one is this, maybe because it's a heart condition, you might say, ah, oh, I just... I don't feel like singing. And, you know, I shouldn't do that because my heart wouldn't be in it. It wouldn't be genuine. Fine, that's, that's a fair point. But let me ask you this question in turn, if this is your objection. Which do you think would better lift your heart out of its sullen mood? To dwell on how sour you are or to sing with your best effort and you can muster and pray that your heart catches your lips. I think the answer is quite obviously the latter. I don't feel like it is no excuse. We sing because we are commanded to, but as with all the Lord's commands, obedience brings with it a great benefit, and this benefit is our next point. We back up to verse 18. 
to see that we sing because it brings us into communion with God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In these verses, we see a wonderful Trinitarian pattern that shows us the motion of the three persons in the Godhead acting as one, and we are placed right in the midst of it. Filled with the Spirit, we honor God and give thanks to the source of all, God the Father, on the basis of God the Son's redemptive work in our lives. Our singing is indeed evidence of a Spirit-filled life. When we sing praise in this way, we are swept up into the eternal movement of the Trinity and the here and now. This is a wonderful description of how we are in Christ. We are filled with His Spirit, and glorify the Father just as he, our big brother, did in his life on earth. What an amazing privilege, saints, that we have been given to sing and to bless the Father who sent his Son to rescue us and who preserves us through the indwelling of his Spirit. Just as singing is evidence of the Spirit's presence in the life of the believer, so too, it is a gateway of obedience where we invite the Spirit to come and fill us anew. This is much the same point that we made above concerning when we don't feel like singing. When we move our will to do what the Spirit does, that is glorifying the Father and the Son, our surrender puts us in a proper relationship to the God of the universe as we participate in this eternal movement temporarily on this earth. Now, Paul sets up this command to be filled with the Spirit with a negative command of do not get drunk with wine. On the one hand, I don't want this to be a major uh, point of my treatment of these verses today because time is precious. But on the other hand, I feel it irresponsible not to say something where the Bible has something to say. So let me, if you will, make two statements and then offer a contextualization of why Paul chooses to pair these two commandments together in order to contrast them with one another. First, let me say the two things and say them clearly. The first is this, drinking alcohol isn't a sin. Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach, and when the Lord instituted the sacrament of communion, he used wine. This is not Welch's, this is fermented grape juice. But allow me to say the second equally as clear. If your reaction to turning to this command is to become defensive about consumption of alcohol, if it is to immediately dive into conversations about what is quote-unquote too much alcohol, if you feel yourself pulled in any way to that drink at the end of the day, then I ask you as your Christian brother to examine yourself honestly whether you are actually drinking it for your stomach or drinking it for your heart. For contextualization, I believe that Paul pairs these commandments because alcohol, when inappropriately consumed, fills our heart with an artificial mirth and dulls our sensitivity to our need of communion with God. We have said multiple times that this is a matter of the heart, and as Paul warns here, we should take care lest we become more desirous of filling ourselves with alcohol or any intoxicating substance for that matter, rather than being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Returning to the main point, though, before we go on, I want to re-emphasize of what a monumental blessing it is to participate in the inner life of God through song. There is freedom that comes with singing. 
When we sing, we orient our heart properly with the God who has saved us and invite his life to transform ours. In so doing, we deepen our communion with him. And our spirit is lifted in a way that no other activity can do. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not take this grace for granted. I honestly wish I could just stay here and elaborate on this point all day, but we have two more points to wrap up. I have to move on, but the first is brief. Fifthly, we sing because it brings our human relationships in right order. There is a wondrous correlation between the quality of our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with our fellow brothers and sisters. Mentioning this point is all I want to do today, as it will be the work of the next few sermons to parse out how Paul specifically envisions this practical daily, in practical daily relationships. But as we work through what Paul says over the next three chapters, remember, what follows is only possible for a heart that is filled with the melody of the Spirit. For our last point, some of you are very astute Bible readers and noticed we skipped the first verse, and that's where we return. <laughs> Over the past two chapters, uh, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Over the past two chapters, the word walk has been mentioned by Paul four times. Biblically speaking, your walk is your manner of life. It is how you conduct yourself, your tone, your language, thoughts, what makes you laugh when you cry, the subjects that you speak about how you carry yourself in relationships with co-workers and brothers and sisters in Christ. Your walk is everything about who you are. Walking is indeed a wonderful metaphor for how we live because everyone has an identifiable way in which they walk. You can take a look at someone far off and you can say with 100% certainty, oh, that's so-and-so, I can tell by how they walk, or oh, that's not so-and-so, I can tell the way that he steps there. This is what Paul means when he says, look carefully how you walk. He means that if a person sees you living your life, they should say, be able to say, oh yes, that's a Christian. I can tell by how they live. But what has all this walk talk to do with songs and singing? You may ask, it is this. We sing because life has rhythm. Whenever we say we are getting back into the swing of things, We're acknowledging this fact. And one of the influences on this rhythm is our songs in our day-to-day lives. These songs we we sing become the melody that resounds in our hearts. And what echoes in the chambers of our hearts directs our manner of life. This very fact is why Paul tells the Ephesians to address one another in songs and give thanks. Simply put, if it matters how we walk... And if it matters how we live, then we must recognize with Paul the direct relationship between our manner of life and the songs that we sing. Every song you sing, whether sung privately, sung with family and friends, on the job, or silently in your mind, all of them in some way shape how you live. And if you have children, as I do, I warn you doubly, because your songs become their songs that will shape their lives as well. If the songs we sing matter, then we must ask this tough, tough question. How many songs have I allowed to fill up my brain space, and more importantly, my heart space, that are empty, worthless, or worse, toxic to my Christian life? Brothers and sisters, being careful how we walk means being careful of what we listen to. 
because we will, you will, I will find myself singing it. We cannot shovel songs of silly nonsense or pound the poisonous anthems of our secular culture into our ear canals and expect our manner of living to be the reflection of Christ it ought to be. Thinking this way is just as preposterous as a person eating only candy bars and proclaiming that they're going to be a long-distance runner. Now, some of you may think that I'm being a bit too heavy-handed. Brad, it's just a harmless, inoffensive song. Like, what's the big deal? Chill out. Just relax. It's going to be okay. However, this just relax mentality is exactly what Paul is warning the Ephesians and us against us with these commands. He says, don't get comfortable and put your life on coast. Look with exactness. Be precise at how you walk and what you do. Don't be foolish, but with wisdom, evaluate your manner of life. And when it comes to songs and singing, sing what brings your heart into the right place, to the place of union with your creator. Now, even after that, perhaps some of you are still unconvinced of the seriousness of what we sing and what we know to sing. Let me tell you a story of where the right song preserved a man's life and purpose in the darkest times. Let me take you to Jesus on the cross. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew 27, 45 through 46. Do you know where these strange words spoken by Jesus come from? Where did our Lord turn for encouragement when he was in excruciating pain? The Psalms, the very same Psalms that Paul points us to here. Jesus' chest creaked as he inhaled, never able to catch quite as much breath as the last. His every limb was on fire with stabbing, ripping pain. His body was so tortured that his every bodily system was shutting down. The nails dug into his arms and feet, the crown pressed into his brow, and in anguish, anguish his dry lips formed the words that were divinely penned through the Holy Spirit in Psalm 22 to hold him fast. As the crowd mocked him, he filled the ear of his mind with the encouragement containing the truth of who he was and what he was here to do in this psalm until at last he was able to cry, it is finished. As Jesus hung on the cross, he did not have time to open a book and fumble through the psalms, songs to find one to fit his situation. They instead were stored in his heart. And when he needed them, they were immediately accessible. Jesus did not know this psalm because he passively absorbed it through the surrounding culture. Neither did the words erupt from his lungs in his time of need because he showed up to the synagogue and joined in a refrain or two every Sabbath. No, they were there when he needed them because he read them and he sang them and he learned them from a young age so that in his suffering, they were what sustained him on the cross until it was done. If you hit a crisis right now, what songs would your heart be ready to sing? It is foolish to think that on our day of trouble that we will be able to somehow have the words of encouragement for one another without preparing for it. Hear me now. 
YouTubing, even the best and most biblically accurate worship song is not a plan of action for a crisis. If we do not hide the psalms of God in our heart, if we do not sing together hymns which keep our feet marching diligently toward eternity, if we do not raise the spiritual songs of praise which elevate our soul out of the mire of this earthly existence into our eternal destination, if these we do not practice, do not memorize, and do not meditate on these songs, then we will be at a loss when the storm comes to our doorstep and fail to maintain our focus properly in times of plenty. And if our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, needed it, we who are his inferior imitators should certainly imitate him in this, for we need it all the more. Now, this is a really heavy place to leave what I earnestly, earnestly desire to be an encouraging sermon on the importance of singing songs. Yet, like with the gospel, I do not believe we can truly grasp how good and right and important it is to sing if we do not first know and understand our desperate need for it. We cannot be so careless as to think that showing up weekly and treating worship as a musical performance will help us in accordance with these verses. It would also be inappropriate to walk away from today's sermon thinking that this naive approach of switching all of our music to K-Love, a Pandora praise station, or a Spotify worship album would be sufficient. So where do we go from here? If you first do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you personally to know him. Come talk with me, any of our elders, or anyone you feel comfortable with about what it means to follow Christ so that you can sing and truly understand what Paul has written and what a blessing it is. I pray that you listen to the Spirit as it prompts you. But to my Christian brothers and sisters, whom this is majoritarily addressed toward, I'd like to pr propose three practical applications that can help us to apply just what we have studied. The first is this. Looking carefully how you walk means that you really listen to the lyrics and examine how your attention is being directed the next time you sing a song. Whether it's a secular song or a worship song, it doesn't matter. Look carefully at it and let the Holy Spirit confirm to you whether or not you should continue singing it. Whittle out those songs that do not, that do not build up, the ones that contain error, the ones that don't produce a joyful, thankful heart. This will clear up space in your heart for songs that matter. The second is this, read a psalm a day. We have 209 days left in the calendar year, and you can more than read through all the psalms by the end of the year. Each one only takes about five minutes, and yes, even Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, only takes a little over five minutes to read. And so maybe if you're feeling a little bit frisky, maybe you even read one in the morning as you wake up and one as you go to bed in the evening. If you find one that you want to memorize as you're reading through it, that's great. Stay on it for a week or two. Post it in your house. Put it in a visible place until you get it down. The ESV Bible app also has audio record readings of the Bible so you can listen to them. And there are even apps that put the Psalms to a tune to help with memorization if you're so inclined. Also, if you miss a day, because let's be honest, I'm gonna miss a day, so I mean, we're all going to miss a day one day. If you miss a day, just don't sweat it. Pick it back up where you left off. It's an endurance race. This point is about building our repertoire of songs, not about following some list of things of do's and don'ts. Third, sing with your brothers and sisters. Sing with one another. 
This is about what we're going to do now. The most important part of this service is what we are about to do. We're about to apply the words of Ephesians 15, 25, uh, 15 through 21 as we sing. Several of the songs that Joseph will sing today are adapted from the Psalms, so let that help you with number two. Do not let these songs wash over your ears, but engage your hearts and your minds and your mouths as one as we sing praise and thanksgiving to God. Now, as Joseph and Denise come, let's bow our heads. And actually, let's go ahead and stand and speak some encouragement over us as we transition to singing. Sing, church. Make melody with your heart to your Father in heaven. Make the words of the ancient psalmists and hymn writers the faithful tunes of your heart. Reflect on the goodness of God. Sing about the greatness of your Savior and be filled with the Spirit. Commit these psalms and songs to memory so that you may withstand the temptations of the devil in these evil days. Let them dwell on your lips so that you are ready to share with your brothers and sisters as they also face their own trials. Let us to continue with one another to redeem the time from the evil one and with song make every moment of our lives a glorious gift to our Father in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, I say church, sing. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from every fear. Those who
us bless the Lord and every day and night never ending praise may our incense rise and let us bless the Lord every day and night never ending praise may our Oh, the bliss of this. 
Oh, 
prisoner now i'm not because with your blood you bought my freedom hallelujah for the cross and as the deer for the water so my soul pants for you and all my tears have been my father day and night my only food oh my soul We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.